0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov.
0: This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. Uh, right now, early fall is a great time to start getting things fermenting and bubbling uh, from cabbages to maybe some lingering cukes um, hanging around and uh, to, I don't know, start home brewing for the winter. Um, so a lot of people are getting into fermentation more and more and uh, a lot of that has to do with the person I'm having on the show today as an in- uh, for this interview. Um, he is one of the top three one of my top three favorite culinary experts of all time without any exaggeration and he's the author of the updated version of wild fermentation the flavor nutrition and craft of live culture foods it's sander alex katz of course how are you
3: um i am great thank you so, <laughs> thank you so much for having me on your show
2: absolutely and thanks for joining us again i remember um you came on for the art of fermentation. That's a great book. Uh, about five years ago, so
3: well, welcome thank you. back. No, I, I remember my first visit to Roberta's very vividly, being yes. uh, being in in in, in 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 the fish tank there in the restaurant. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, that's where I am right now. Um, so, um, too bad you couldn't join us again. But um, yeah. uh, it's great that uh, you know you're back on the station. Um, you know, I I was actually just using the art of fermentation to to quickly double check my ratio for for cucumbers. Um, it's something that uh, it works every well, time.
3: Well, I make reference to my own recipes all the time, so mm-hmm. there you have it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, your recipes are not just you know measure measurements. You know, your recipes add a lot of um, thought and personal anecdote and opinion too. And I think that that's really important because. Fermenting is is not an exact, I mean, so many factors affect how much, you know, you need to ferment and how much this and that and so forth, so...
3: Yeah, I mean, when I wrote The the Art of Fermentation, you know, that's a book that's, you know, really without recipes. I mean, it's got all the, you know, it's got all the proportions or ranges of proportions. But, you know, I had really made a decision that I wanted to get out of recipe writing, Mm -hmm. you know, just because, like, I really don't care whether people use, you know, one tablespoon or two tablespoons of sugar. I mean, I feel (laughs) like that's you know, that's entirely in the realm of, um, you know, personal choice and, 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 and preference. So, you know, rather than encouraging people to, you know, sort of follow recipes, what I wanted to do was just give people a sense of, you know parameters you know ranges of proportions of sugar or salt ideas for seasoning so that it's like you know well here's the information take it and run with it but you know what i learned somewhat from the feedback that i got from um uh, the art of fermentation is that people like recipes people mm-hmm. felt a little bit lost without recipes so you know that was part of um, you know, my decision to revise Wild Fermentation was well. If you know, if people need recipes and they're following these recipes from when I was starting out, what I'm doing, and you know that I'm always correcting in my conversations to people, I'd better put out better recipes. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, that's really what this revised edition of Wild Fermentation is about. Is you know, with uh, you know, another decade of experience as a fermentation educator, with a lot clearer you know understanding not only of the process but of you know, what frequently trips people up in the process, okay. what, what, mm-hmm. what people are insecure of or, or, or afraid of, or, you know, just realizing what I had underemphasized emphasized or, or overemphasized. So, okay. you know, the, 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 the book, you know, in many ways is substantially similar to the original book, but, you know, some recipes are gone, there's new recipes, and I would say all the recipes that are still there, um, you know, are updated in some
2: way. Gotcha. So it's been like a whole 15 years since wild fermentation first came out. 2003. Can you believe it? Well, yeah. Wild
3: Fermentation actually was published in 2003, but my original zine version that, that led me to writing the book, uh, uh, I wrote and published in 2001, so that's 15 years ago. And it's really right uh, on the heels of that that um, I made the connection with Chelsea Green and mm-hmm. decided to write a book and started working on it. So 15 years ago, right now, I was really just beginning work on, on Wild Fermentation.
2: Got it. And and with wild fermentation, kind of like a slow ferment, it it
3: <laughs> that was a dumb one
2: for but it sort of it, it No
3: fermentation fermentation offers metaphors for almost Yes, every
2: day. I know. It so it ripened it um, and, and sort of crystallized a movement and it was um it was a re embracing of fermentation. And that's only grown immensely since then. It's bubbled over, you could say, to continue on this track, Um, and and such that you know the 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 hottest chefs. You know, I had a bar tartine chefs here um, about a year ago, and they you know everybody is tinkering around with fermentation. It is. (laughs) <laughs> you right. Know, well they've been, well been tickering
3: around for with fermentation for a long time. Yes. They they did not get on the bandwagon. They were you know, a, a Bar was definitely like leaders of the bandwagon. Um right. No, I mean I love I, I mean I love the stuff that they're doing. They have a new restaurant opening, but I have been uh, I have been admiring um um their work for a long time.
2: Right. I mean, there's a show here on this station called Foment About It. I mean, it's a rich I've, topic. I've been
3: I've been a, <laughs> yes. I've been a like a, a guest on that show. For Wonderful.
2: Whatever. Yeah, so it's definitely reached a zeitgeist, or it has been yeah. for the last I 15 years. I mean, you years,
3: know, my, my, my thoughts about that, because, I mean, I, I get to talk to people about this a lot. A lot of mm-hmm. people are like... Um, You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, media interviewers, you know, their first question will be like, so, you know, so fermentation is suddenly a big fad. Well, Mm -hmm. and then my perspective on that is, okay, um, (laughs) so beer and wine are suddenly popular and (laughs) bread and cheese are suddenly popular Oh, I also had the fermented man on uh, the show. Kimchi and pickles are suddenly popular. I mean, you know, from my perspective, all of the products of fermentation, or or most of the major products of fermentation, have enjoyed enduring popularity. Um, You know, coffee, chocolate, bread, cheese. Cured meats, um, beer, wine. Um, So, I, I mean, you know, fermentation itself and the products of fermentation have always been integral to, you know, our daily lives. Um, and, you know, there's nothing new or faddish about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think that what's new and what's, what's exciting is, you know, so many more people are aware of fermentation thinking about fermentation. So, I mean, people always enjoyed the products of fermentation because they're so integral to all of our culinary traditions. Um, but, you know, sort of throughout, you know, the century where people, uh, you know, got less and less interested in their food and what they were eating mm-hmm. and how it was produced, mm-hmm. You know, although people kept eating the products of fermentation, they were they were being made in you know faraway places, and and people weren't even necessarily aware that they were fermented. And even if they were, they had no idea of of, of the process. But right. um, you know, I think it's thrilling that people are becoming more interested in in the food that they're eating and where that food comes from and how it's produced. And I think that you know it's a really important set of questions to ask about our food and and the idea that people, you know, want to be more connected to their food, want to understand where it comes from and how it's produced, and maybe even have a hand in producing it. And those are all exciting things. And, um, you know, I don't think that's a fad at all. I think it's sort of like a – it's like a a, – A countervailing trend Mm -hmm. to, you know, the hundred years of, um, you know, people wanting to have less and less to do with the food that they're eating and being content to be more and more um, uh, uh, distanced from it and and not involved in it. And I sort of get that, you know, for my grandmother's generation, I mean, that was liberation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that enough time has passed that you know, many people have developed a critique, and uh, like, oh, the methods that allow you know one person to grow enough food to feed a hundred people are envir- environmentally destructive, and the food that the system of food mass production produces is nutritionally diminished, and and at the root of all of these sort of disease processes that are that that, that have emerged as our new epidemics, right. Um, you know, And so for all these reasons, people are just kind of craving more connection to their food and asking all these questions about how their food was produced and where it comes from. And I think that that's really a, a good and healthy thing.
2: Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting, Sandra. Like, I think that fermentation is a sort of a natural byproduct of getting more involved in your food system and where food comes from and cooking more and maybe growing your own food because you're going to have to preserve it and it's going to come up. Hopefully, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, 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 absolutely.
3: And, mm-hmm. and you know, whether we're talking about food preservation, or whether we're talking about um, you know a sourdough, or whether we're talking about making wine and beer, you know, the reality is that you know the processes that are involved in transforming the raw products of agriculture into all of the things that people love to eat and drink you know, involve a lot of different transformative processes and, you know, prime among them is fermentation.
2: Right. So you know what words are kind of buzzy though, probiotic, uh, probiotic gut, gut okay. bacteria. Um, these, are, these are things that, um, you know, nutritionists are starting to hail more and more and uh, scientists are starting to sort of try to understand a bit more uh, what exactly is going on in our guts and how much bacteria plays into our overall health. And uh, yeah. that's why, you know, fermentation has been sort of a, you know, a, a star, I guess, in, in terms of health fads these days as well.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of interest in probiotics right now. I mean, you know, I would say that the context for the interest in probiotics is, you know, the idea that you know we were all raised in the midst of the war on bacteria and this mm. sort of you know um, um, ideology that 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 you know bacteria um, categorically are um, you know dangerous and associated with um, a, a disease and danger and you know they need to, they need to be avoided and when captured they need to be killed by any means necessary so you're talking about the antibacterial
2: and, you know, hand soaps and the little instant antibacterial stuff that you rub onto your hands and so forth that's part of the yeah, fear yeah yeah, yeah. all, okay, all got of it. this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um uh
3: you know i mean antibiotic drugs antibacterial cleansing products chlorine in our water i mean yeah bacteria. You know, the, the, the manifestations of the you know chemical warfare of the war on bacteria um you know is all of these chemicals that we have daily contact with that diminish um, uh bacterial biodiversity in in our bodies and um, you know science is really learning just how important biodiversity in our intestines in particular is and you know it's it's it, it determines a lot more than our ability to digest our food and assimilate nutrients our immune system is mostly the work of bacteria in our intestines um, you know we're learning all this exciting information about you know ways in which our gut bacteria regulate serotonin and other chemicals that determine our brain function how we think and how we feel um, um, you know they had they 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 regulate our liver function in ways that we're beginning to learn about our circulatory function I mean almost every aspect of our you know functionality of our bodies is related to these gut bacteria that you know until 20 years ago people just thought of as um, mystery you know, as, as our enemy to, yeah. to, 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 to be killed so sure I mean learning how important these bacteria Bacteria are is you know is sort of you know giving rise to a you know sort of a broad interest in um, you know strategies to restore biodiversity and you know you can buy all kinds of expensive uh, uh, capsules at a natural food store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and each one is boasting you know we have five billion cells in each um, mm-hmm. uh, in each capsule um, but you know even if it's five billion cells generally it's five billion copies of you know one cell or two or three uh, whereas traditional fermented foods are literally embodiments of biodiversity yes um, because in the natural world you never find singular microorganisms they exist in communities so right. you know on the cabbage is a broad community of organisms in the resulting sauerkraut there's a broad community of, of, of organisms. Um, but all of the traditional fermented foods and beverages, um, um, you know, encompass these broad um, um, communities. So if we're really talking about probiotics as, as, as biodiversity, then, you know, traditional foods are much more powerful probiotics than, um, uh, you know, than the capsules that we can buy, even if, You know, much more clinical research has been Mm. done with the capsules Mm. because they tend to be proprietary strains. And, you know, sort of nobody's really investing in clinical trials for sauerkraut or beer or other traditional foods because nobody owns them and really nobody can own them.
2: Huh? I think it's really interesting because it sounds like formal medicine is really um, in, a, in a very primitive place when it comes to understanding a lot of uh, the bacteria in foods. And uh, that, that's interesting because that's sort of... But obviously, you know, well, people and, have known...
3: In terms of understanding the bacteria in our body. I mean,
2: yeah, it's, in our body. It's
3: so new. Like, you know, biology has only had the tools in the last 15 years or so to begin to study communities of organisms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, really, up until up until the new millennium, um, you know, biology could only culture singular organisms and study the organisms that it was possible to culture, which is actually a rather small subset of microorganisms. Mm. Um, so, you know, yes, we, we are, you know, our knowledge is is crude. I mean, our knowledge of the right. role of bacteria in our bodies is crude. Uh, our knowledge about you know the dynamics of the interaction between the bacteria on the food that we eat and the bacteria that are in residence already in our intestines is very crude we know that there's an elaborate interaction we can measure some of the effects that it has on our immunity on our digestion on nutrient bioavailability but you know we don't really exactly understand what the mechanisms
2: are it's fascinating and yet you know we've been around for since and and also fermented foods have been is as old as you write as humanity so that's it's kind of wonderful older older i would
3: argue i mean you know i mean um okay um,
2: animals right
3: ferments you know spontaneously on sweet things with us or without us
2: mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it
3: doesn't need us and um, um you know there's lots of interesting examples of um you know insects birds small mammals large uh, uh, uh mammals being attracted to the smell of alcohol and ah. gorging themselves on fermented fruit fermenting fruit right um, so and you know we somehow evolved with the enzymes to digest alcohol. So presumably, you know our primate ancestors were you know somewhat familiar with this phenomenon.
2: Presumably, yes. The dinosaurs, I'm sure. I mean, rotting yeah. flesh around. I don't know. Um,
3: <laughs> or, or, or maybe you know or maybe it's it's not rotting flesh but fermenting berries. But
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, Sandra, let's cut to a quick little commercial interlude and we'll be right back. Chat more.
3: Okay. okay. <laughs>
1: New York chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified program at certified.ny.gov.
2: All right, we're back chatting with Sander Alex Katz, whose updated version of Wild Fermentation, the book that sort of caused a revolution in 2003, is coming out right now. Um, So, Sander, you write that this book, uh, the first version of Wild Fermentation, um, changed your life. And uh, I have to say, when I first heard about from Chelsea Green that you were publishing an updated version, um, it uh, I almost was like I almost was a little sad. Like I kind of was like, oh no, because it's sort of like a Bible. (laughs) Did it feel weird to touch and and you know mess and tinker, tamper with the original?
3: Well. I mean not really. I mean I sh- I I share a sense of nostalgia about it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, be- well, I mean mostly because that book was such a huge landmark in my in my own life right. and you know, it's been it's it the book has done really well and um um you know, there's there's you know, lots of copies of it floating around and because of the like kind of loud garish cover, you know, I could see it on somebody's <laughs> somebody's bookshelves from, you know, 100 feet away, and it would just jump out at me. So, I mean, I had a little bit of of, of sadness, um, but you know, but but realize, really, I feel like in person, I've been correcting that book for years. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I'd say, well, look in wild fermentation, and you know, roughly follow that recipe, but you know, maybe don't use as much salt, and maybe do this, and maybe don't do that. So you know, I was, I was, I, I, for years, I've been kind of correcting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, honestly, when Art of Fermentation came out, I kind of figured that that would eclipse wild fermentation, mm. and that wild fermentation would you know just kind of, of um, you know drift <laughs> drift into obscurity. Um, but you yeah. know, what I learned is that um, you know, for many people, a 500-page book is just too much information. I got a lot of that. Too oh, much no. information. Okay. Um, so I get that that many people like you know just don't have the the, the time or level of interest that they want to read quite so much about it, and they just want you to cut to the chase and give them the most relevant information. Yeah. Um, and so I just decided, well, I'm a more experienced fermentation educator now. I'm going to just sort of take this book apart and do a better job of it, and, you know, once I was doing it, there were so many things I wanted to, so many small things I wanted to change. I mean, I'm not telling people to throw away their old copies. Their old copies are really yeah. so great, but, um, you know, any, any kind of a book is like, a little bit like a time capsule. And, um, you know, it's just what was, you know, sort of in the mind of the person who was writing it at the moment when they wrote it. And then life goes on and, you know, and and your learning curve continues. And, uh, you know, at some point you look back and you think like, wow, that was really imperfect. And, uh, you know, and I can see all these ways that I could make it better. Um and I have no doubt that five years from now I'll look back at the revised copy and I'll be like, Oh, mm-hmm. this this has imperfections too. Yeah. But I haven't I haven't come up with any of those yet. But but I mean wild fermentation changed my life in a huge way and in lots of huge ways. But I mean the biggest thing is that you know the the experience that led me to write wild fermentation was, you know, I was living in this remote rural homestead. Uh, uh... community and um, you know i was just pouring myself for years into growing food and making food for people
2: right and
3: i love that and you know i'll tell you when i have like a few weeks at home and i can just really kind of nest in the kitchen and the garden i mean i just feel like i'm at my happiest then. Yeah. Um, you know, but in, um, you know, my book tour for wild fermentation, I discovered, um, you know, what a hunger there is for this information. And, um, you know, really what, what began as a book tour to promote wild fermentation in 2003 has kind of become a way of life for me. And I've, I've become a, an itinerant uh, a fermentation educator.
2: Absolutely. Um,
3: and, um, you know, I, I really have not systematically counted my workshops. I don't think I've quite gotten to a thousand yet, but I think I'm probably hovering very close to a thousand workshops. And, um, you know, that's, definitely changed my way of life um and uh, and i love how you you know i mean i I travel i travel Mm -hmm. all the time it's very rare the month where i'm like at home for a whole Uh month without going anywhere and 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 teaching and um so that's the biggest way that that my life has changed and I, i don't mean to complain about it i mean it's you know it's very it's very you know exciting to me that i get invited around the world and people you know sort of pay my way to travel to faraway places that, you know, that I'd love to see anyway uh, and bring me there. And I get to meet all of these sort of, you know, passionate people who are, you know, excited to hear what I'm talking about. And I get to, you know, taste uh, uh, all kinds of different fermented foods and beverages, you know, in their indigenous context, you know, made by people who have been making them all their lives. So, you know, this this definitely has, you know, incredibly yeah. enhanced my, my um, you know, sort of knowledge of, of fermentation. I, I of think... Served-
2: Yeah. I love that you shared that in this book, too, because I thought that was a great addition, Um, sharing the stories and the photos of folks like uh, there's a photo of you and Dr. Vandana Shiva. Um, And then you went to the Himalayan village um, where you're making... Uh, grain fermentations and then you, you visited a, a miso maker in Alaska and and you know this this book really has a great um, sort of travelogue feel to it from all your journeys mm-hmm. and all your experiences meeting these folks as well, well as new so, recipes. That was really, that was really fun
3: like you know, going through all yeah. the photographs and taking out interesting things to include. But I'm glad you enjoyed that. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and then somebody made a miso sculpture of yourself.
3: Ah, uh, wasn't that hilarious? <laughs> a tempe, tempe, a tempe and miso, a, a Sandor. That was a, a fermentation group in um, in Brisbane, yeah, in um, uh, Queensland, in 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 Australia. <laughs> no, that was that was that's the best gift I've ever received. Was at the end of this two-day workshop, they presented me with this bust uh, of myself made out of um, you know tempe with with the hair as
2: the miso It's hilarious um, yeah it's just delightful and I, I gotta say I had nothing to be scared about initially when hearing about this book because it's really it's everything and then some more recipes so really um, thank you for doing this it's a really fun oh, read oh my pleasure my
3: pleasure
2: alright well I guess that's about all the time we've got for today's interview but uh, we'll definitely um, be spreading the fermentation fervor And uh, everyone, check out the latest updated version of Wild Fermentation out now from Chelsea Green. Uh, Sander, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
3: Okay. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for having me on the show.
2: Absolutely. And thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.